and welcome back to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Manuel. We're going to go to a haunted house this week. But before we go to a haunted house, how was your week? Um, it's it's a very interesting week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to say the least. To say the least. So many details I'm not going to go into, yeah. but it's... This it's... week is pretty garbage, everyone. <laughs> so, so pray for good. us. <laughs> yes. On a number of levels, it's, it's a rough week. Uh... This week is last week. We're actually banking this in the future yes. or in the past. <gasps> so that when all the shit hits the fan, I guess we'll still have episodes coming right. out. Yay. All right, you guys. We watched part one of Rose Red, a 2002 ABC miniseries. Uh, I was just lamenting that the show is not available on Disney Plus nor any other streaming platform at all. Uh, you could buy the DVD. It costs $72 for a DVD that will play in the United States where we are. Or you can watch it in chunks on Daily Motion. So that is what we are doing. We are watching this separately, which we don't normally do. Daily Motion. Yes. Came so, to our rescue. Shh, it's secret. Uh, we only watched part one. I wonder if we should watch part two and part three for the second part. Because I just feel like part one was all... Here's this person. Here's a history I, dump. Here's... I don't know. There was so much exposition and yeah. the introduction of characters in this episode that I don't, yeah, I don't know the Like, best I kind of want to watch the second piece and then go, oh, no, I don't think we need a whole thing right. unto well, we'll that. See. So yeah. we may be doing the set part two and part three uh, in the, in a combined episode next yeah. week. Um, we'll let you know. I'll probably put it in the show notes because we'll know by then. Uh, so check the show notes. It'll say what we're doing. We're um, combining episodes or something. Or, yes, w- whether next week is part one or part two and part three or just part two. Did you watch this in 2002 when it came out? I did not watch all of it. Like many of the miniseries, I worked some nights. I was doing other stuff, so I didn't actually get to uh, watch it all together. That's terrible. Was, How did you even start a thing when you knew you couldn't finish it? I I don't know. Television was very different then. I guess that's right. It was the beginnings of DVRs and recording stuff. You know, you set your VCR you to record VCR, You could have recorded this on a And VCR. I think that's ultimately what I wound up doing. Mm. Uh, if I, by that point, had learned how to program a VCR, I barely learned before we bought a DVD player. No. So. That's that's basically. You know what a DVD player doesn't do? What record things? Yeah, <laughs> that, that, I discovered that too. We had a combination DVD, VCR, mm-hmm. and then one broke, oh. and then it just became a VCR. I mean, a DVD player. So disappointing. Yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was. Okay. So Did you watch it? I think I watched some of it. Uh-huh. Uh I would still have been in college. It would have been my last year. Uh, let me see when it actually ran in January. So yeah, I would be. I would have been in school, or my second to last year actually, because I graduated in two thousand and three. It's entirely possible that I watched it. I remember uh-huh. some of it, right? But I don't remember much of it. So. Uh, this was a new experience, like a new watching experience for me, because I was like, I remember Nancy Travis, and I remember the girl who plays Annie, and I knew Melanie Linsky was in it. Right. Beyond that, 
I, I didn't remember a lot of things. So, so yeah, this is kind of a fresh, a fresh watch for me. So you want to get into it? Yes, I do. Okay. Before I get into the plot summary, do, 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 do. Moving it back, moving it back, moving it back. The history of this thing is that it was pitched uh, by Stephen King to Steven Spielberg uh-huh. as doing um, basically a loose remake of The Haunting. Robert Wise's The Haunting, okay. which is a movie from 1956. No, it was later than that. Okay. It was 1960, I believe. Okay. And which which in and of itself is a sort of a retelling of the Shirley Jackson story, The Haunting of Hill House. Right. Which was then, so in 1996, Stephen King went to Steven Spielberg and went, let's make a haunted house movie a la Robert Wise and right. Shirley Jackson. In 1999, the remake of The Haunting of Hill House was released, at which point they were like, ooh, so they totally did what we wanted to do. Uh, it was The Haunting. It was not. It was the remake of The Haunting, not The Haunting of Hill House. Okay. There were two, I think, in fairly quick succession. But at that point, they were like, well, we, we're not going to do that. Let's expand it into a miniseries. Uh, so which at that point... King incorporated a bunch of influences, including... Hey, wait, just a second. Okay. Because I think there's something wrong with what you just told me. Because I think Steven Spielberg produced The Hunting. It's possible. And that he was being, from what I understand, he was being a dick and just went ahead and did that instead of working with Steven King. It's entirely possible. Uh, Wikipedia doesn't say that, Uh but I, you know, do I think that Steven Spielberg has the... Capability of being a dick, since he almost hit me with his vehicle once. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> it is a DreamWorks film. Right. So Steven Spielberg, uncredited executive producer of The Hunting, talked to Stephen King about doing a haunted house movie. And they talked about The Hunting. Uh, after they started writing, the two had creative differences. Uh, gotcha. Okay. 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 Then so, you were right. Well, I just want to do that before we go on and give a story, and then it turns out, oh, no, that's not what happened. Well, either way. Uh-huh. After that movie came out, this mo- that the movie that Stephen right. King pitched couldn't be done, right? Um, especially not then, right? And like I said, The Haunting of Hill House is, was remade. I want to say in like two thousand and one or two thousand and two. The The Haunting the remake was done in nineteen ninety nine. No, I know The Haunting of Hill House remake, oh, the one okay. with Tay Diggs and um, uh, Tay Diggs. Yeah. No, that's not, oh. that's the uh, House on a Haunted Hill. House on Haunted Hill. Same fucking thing. <coughs> no, no, it's not, <laughs> they don't have anything to do with each other. Uh, except, as far as anyone is concerned, they definitely do. Okay. <laughs> they are haunted house movies. With Hill in the title, they have stuff to do with each other. The okay. House on Haunted Hill. You're right. That is what okay, that so one was. This, to, to, to get the, the, the whole evolution of it right. Yeah. It started with Robert Wise's adaptation, uh, Robert Wise directing the adaptation of The Hunting of Hill House. Which Shirley is Jackson's a Shirley book, Jackson novel. Which yes. is a great novel, which was turned into a masterpiece of a film. Right. Steven Spielberg and Stephen King both agree that this is a masterpiece of a film. They want to make a version of it, an updated version. Then they, they fight. They fight. Stephen King, or Stephen Spielberg goes ahead and makes... A crappy remake. It's bad. It's not and good, it's, y'all. It, it's like uh, The Wicker Man, where you have a masterpiece and then a horrible remake of it. Although, at least in this remake, we don't have Nick Cage just punching women for no reason. Right. Uh, <laughs> you, you miss the spectacle of Nicolas Cage karate kicking Lily Sobieski in the gut. 
and then punch her in the face while she's unconscious. So, so not. I hate that movie so much. I kind of hate Nicolas Cage. I realize he's a big deal to some people, but he's God, a weird dude. I think he's, he's got problems. Just, no. So, so and then there was the Haunting of Hill House television miniseries that was done. Oh no, excuse me. The uh, Rose Red was done. Right. And in 2002. 2002, which has a lot of scenes even out of The Haunting of Hill House. Yes. And then um, it was done recently as a television series, or as a, I don't even know how to call it anymore. Um, it's not a, a limited series. series. A limited series for Netflix. So for it's Netflix. a streaming sh- Yes, know, and they're doing a second program. season that isn't, it's going to have the same title, but it's about a different, totally different thing. Turn of the Screw, right? Yeah, they're doing a Turn of the Screw. Which is interesting because they're just sort of visiting the American classics. If you mm-hmm. have not read The Haunting of Hill House, you should. It's amazing. If you have not seen the original 1960 film that Robert Wise directed, it is a masterpiece. It's very, very, very good. Uh, also, something else. This book inspired The Haunting of Hill House, inspired Richard Matheson to write The Legend of Hell House. Okay. Which is a much more sexually explicit and creepy, it's more graphic story. Okay, gotcha. That also, a lot of it is in Rose Red. I, yes. There's an homage pulling... to like several scenes from the film mm-hmm. version. Um in I was watching uh, the, the first episode, and like, oh, he's referencing yeah. that too. He's referencing a ton of, ton of things. He's referencing uh, the Winchester House. Yes. Uh, he's referencing. He's not. Re- he can't really be referencing the House of Leaves, uh-huh. but he's kind of referencing the House of Leaves. So, was there? How do you mean with the that? growing of the house? Because uh-huh. here's the thing about well. When we get into the supernatural idea things in this house, the house is growing like the Winchester Mystery House did, but without builders. Right. It's just changing on its own, which feels to me like House of Leavesy, because uh-huh. the house was bigger on the inside and right. had all of these rooms that would just appear and disappear. Now, from what I remember from reading the TV Guide article that was accompanying that week, because I used to I actually used to read TV Guide. I was one of those people. I uh, learned how to read. There were some interesting Guide. articles. And one of them was written by Stephen King about this product, project, uh-huh. which is why I knew that Steven Spielberg had been involved. And I can't remember which one of them came up with the idea that you would hear saws and hammers going in the background because the mm. house was building itself. Yeah. And that was inspired by the Winchester Mystery House. Yes. That had to be constantly built upon. Right. In order to appease... Right, what, but there were builders there. Right. And here they are, it's, it's a supernatural Right, here it's just thing. the house is... Constantly in a state yeah. of construction, which is an interesting concept. I like that part of it too. I didn't do my one. Let me do my one sentence. Okay, one sentence. This is going to be something because it's synopsis. such a big, Yeah, it's idea. just it's a haunted house thing. But okay, so the 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 plot summary uh-huh. one one sentence plot summary. Doctor Joyce Rudin, a psychology professor, leads a team of psychics into a the decrepit mansion known as Rose Red. Her efforts to unleash the spirit of former over, owner. Ellen Rimbauer and uncover the horrifying secrets of those who lived and died there. That, or her efforts unleash, I put a two in there and then I got confused. Her efforts unleash the spirit of former owner Ellen Rimbauer and uncover the horrifying secrets of those who lived and died there. That's a spoiler. (laughs) Really, it's a crazed doctor brings poor psychics to haunted house to wake it up. <laughs> so would you say that Nancy Travis's character is crazed or she's just obsessed? Uh, yes, both of those things. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this first episode, um, while I enjoyed watching it, was 
introductions and exposition dump. That is what it is, right? Um, So um, we start the plot is, or we start with, uh, in 1991, I'll cut that previous thing out. Cut that previous thing out. In 1991, uh, we have sort of two homes that we're seeing. The home of Annie Whedon and the home of a neighbor. (laughs) An un an unnamed neighbor. Unnamed neighbor. <laughs> and we'll call her Mrs. Stoner. Uh, Annie Whedon is a young girl. She seems to have. Oh, she's autistic. They uh-huh. do say that she's autistic. Pretty pretty Which straight out. Which brings back the magical dysfunction yes, thing yes, that Stephen King is so fond of. Uh, and she is in her room coloring and listening to forties uh, music. 30s music. She's also listening to a summer place, which would place it somewhere in the 50s, I guess. Oh, okay. Some of it. And then Glenn Miller, so it is 40s. She does, music as yeah. Well. She right. does listen to old timey music uh, on a record player, right. I believe. And she, it's just very loud today. <laughs> and she is uh, drawing a house, and then she's drawing a bunch of lines like she's attacking the drawing. Uh-huh. And she, um, we're hearing her family who apparently her sister, who has a name but is referred to as sister, which right. I find dehumanizing. I wonder if she thinks that. Probably a sister. Everyone does. I just, that is. And that might be a plot point later on that maybe, we find it's out. Just, really, that is yeah. so minimizing of her. Like, it really feels like, oh, we had you so that you could give organs to your sibling or whatever, like that kind of a thing. It's right. just like, ooh. Uh, that's not her whole end-all, be-all. And it means that she's definitely got too much responsibility caring for a child that is not her own, and I have some experience with that. But uh, she's being berated by her parents because she allowed young Annie to be bitten by the neighbor's dog. Uh, the neighbor's dog was then put down. So we're seeing the neighbor as well. And they're uh-huh. talking shit about Annie. Basically like, something wrong with that girl. Our dog is sweet. That and girl he knew ain't that right. Something, exactly. <laughs> he knew something was wrong with her. And that's why he did it. And da 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 And this makes Annie very mad. And then a bunch of rocks <laughs> demolish this, <laughs> these people's I, house. I appreciate. And I want to say, uh-huh. this is a direct callback to Carrie. Yeah. It is. It is a direct, it's what Carrie did as a child that you never see in the movies. I don't know. We haven't seen all of the movies no. yet. But we're about to watch another one actually coming up, but uh, this they is don't also, do it in the original. This is, yeah, because it's an actual psychic phenomenon yeah. that has happened. People are pelted with stones, and it was part of the original uh, Not just haunting. stones, like boulders. Yeah, in this case, the, these are stones the size. Uh, in the actual case that I'm thinking of, um, People were pelted with stones that seemed to be collected from gardens that were miles apart, and just spontaneously, all these rocks kept hitting their windows. In, in the haunting of Hill House, that's referenced as well. Eleanor, as a child, when she had uh, anger against somebody, they got pelted with rocks. Mm-hmm. So that's also a callback. Carrie was also a callback to Eleanor in the in uh, the film The Haunting, and also in the book, I believe. So yeah, that's that's another reference that calls back away. But in this case, being that we have modern special effects, he just dropped rocks the size of Volvos on top of this house, and it's an impressive sight seeing them drop from the sky like that. Yeah, um, 
I wanted to put one of those freeway signs, danger <laughs> falling rocks or something in their front yard. Yeah. And then we uh, sort of fast forward right. to 2001. Sure. It's right before this movie was made, so we'll call it 2001. Okay. Because uh, this was released in 2002, so contemporaneous. And we're in the classroom of Dr. Joyce Reardon, played by Nancy Travis. Who's my least favorite character in this whole thing so far? Well, I think she's designed to be your least favorite character. Um, so she's a professor. She's a psychology professor who once did child psychology, but now does paranormal psychology, parapsychology, uh-huh. one might say. Uh, and she is uh, at the last lecture of the semester before uh, grades, before <laughs> finals. And she's finishing up her lecture, and right at the end, uh, a young man who you may know from Westworld. His name is Jimmy Simpson. That, that's the actor's name. Is he His not name the is... Michael Pitt? No. Not Michael Pitt? Not, Michael not Brad Pitt. Pitt? No. Not any kind of Pitt at all? No Pitts. He doesn't... I don't... I can't even I, see it. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Simpson playing, I believe... It's not Nick. Bollinger? Maybe yes, Bollinger. Nick. It was Bollinger. Um, I know Bollinger is right. Like the wine. And... Kevin, Kevin right. Bollinger, and he is a reporter with the University Times or whatever, and she, he asks her about the field trip that she has planned to the Rimbauer, Rose Red, uh, the Rimbauer Mansion, and uh, Nancy Travis shows him down and then dismisses her class, and then he tries to um, talk to her more, and she's like, you could have come to see me at my office hours like a regular reporter, but you right. wanted to embarrass yes. me He's and I'm not gonna Yeah. I'm not gonna it's with some real gotcha journalism. Right. So uh then we see her being a terrible teacher. <laughs> She's a professor. She's got office hours. She's sitting in her office and a teacher or and a, and a student comes in and she snaps at the student. Now it's not office hours right, right. now. Okay. She's just she is beyond rude to this poor woman who's just got to ask a question and she's like just come back between two and she finally she's like i'm sorry just come back between two and three um she's making some phone calls and then later on a very handsome young man comes in who looks very much like everyone else looked in 2002 <laughs> he's so a indistinct gentleman yes and we're going to see several a handsome though non uh, not Quite distinctive young people in this movie. Uh, yeah, uh, this is um, his his name in the uh-huh. sh- in the movie is Steve Rimbauer. We know that name. Could there be a relationship? Maybe the worms, the spice. He is played by an actor named Matt Kieslar. Uh-huh. He reminds me very much of the dude from Starship Troopers. Oh, I didn't think of that. He reminded me of uh, what's his name from Six Feet Under, who's in the Nine One One show. He looks like a younger version of him to me. Oh, you think so? Yeah. What's that guy's name? Um, Peter Krause. Peter Krause. So we have not <laughs> Peter Krause, and we have not Michael Pitt, uh, who don't he have any scenes look together like Peter yet. Peter Krause to me. He looks like that dude has a weird name, right? The Starship Troopers guy. Uh, yeah. It starts with a C. 
Casper Van Dien. Casper Van Dien. And I only know that because he was also Tarzan once. Oh, yes. He was the he shortest like of the Tarzans. It's it's about the jawline and uh-huh. the dimple. He's got a chin dimple, uh-huh. which Peter Krause does not have. Oh, that's true. <laughs> so, and I have one, so I, I keep a lookout. Uh, like the late Kirk Douglas and like my own father. So this is Steve Rimbauer. He is the descendant of the owners of this house and uh-huh. thus the owner of this house. And he is planning on demolishing it. But before he demolishes it, he's allowing his girlfriend, that's right, girlfriend to take a group of psychics over Memorial Day weekend to investigate. So her plan. Now, I would like to discuss briefly the complications of the relationships in this story. Okay. Nancy Travis is sleeping with Steve Rimbauer. I have the impression that this is not a relationship based on warmth and affection, but based on the fact that she has access to the house and he's yes. a young, pretty thing. Yeah. Well, I don't even think the young, pretty thing comes into it nearly. I think that is like uh-huh. a 80-20. <laughs> he is a young, pretty thing, and he clearly cares about her. Yes, he does. She does not pay attention she to him when he is in the world. And she is, this is also, we should say there is an age and power dynamic in this relationship. Do you think she's older than him? I think she's older than him. I think I don't she, think she's older that much older. No, no, than him. not that much older. Okay. I think that she talks down to him a lot. She definitely does. She but she talks him down like to a child. He has mommy that. issues, as we later learn. So that felt as if Stephen King is nodding in that direction, going, "Oh, there's there's a weird dynamic there," and that's what I felt because I had issues with some of Nancy Travis's performance in here in the first episode. Oh, but she is. 11 years older than he is. But, Nancy Travis is 11 year uh-huh. old, years older than Matt Kiesler. So so I felt like at the, the when I felt real genuine about her nastiness, yeah. what came across was the way that she treated her, who's supposed to be her boyfriend, that she obviously is just kind of using because he's... And he knows that, though. Because useful. he asks her. He asks her point blank about it at one point where he's in bed and she's up working. Right. And, she's, and he's like, would I be here if my last name was anything else? Right. So he knows. Yeah. So, you know, I bet she's real good in bed. (laughs) Well, that's what everyone seems to be thinking. Even what's-her-name is checking him out. Annie Wheaton reaches... No, 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 her. What? Because he has no reason to be in this relationship. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said he's good in bed. No, I said her. I I bet she is. Because why would he stick around? Oh, I'm sure To be subjected to this nonsense. Yes, actually, I'm sure that's the case. <laughs> right? Like, Because he, he is, as we say, a good-looking dude. Uh-huh. Looks like Casper Van Dien. Well, as I well, I'm sure he's also, never had trouble in his life with ladies. Annie and any number of other characters are constantly are, yes. checking him out. It's kind he's, of funny. He is stereotypically good-looking, kind of. like yeah. So. He has the best line in the film. There's a scene where he and, or so far, and Nancy Travis are, he's trying to entice her into bed, and she's yes. saying, no, no. She has her work to do. Yeah, I've got things. And she, he's going on about how he wants the house destroyed. Yeah. And he has a wonderful line, I felt, where she goes, why do you hate the house so much? And she mm. goes, because it eats my relatives. Did you miss that? <laughs> right. And yes. I just like the idea that, oh, that, yeah. That, yes. That, like, they, fuck this house. <laughs> right. This house is terrible yes. to my family. It keeps devouring them. Yes. So, yeah. So then we get uh, this... A, a meeting in the classroom. Uh-huh. Of course, it's in the classroom because that way Kevin Bollinger can come sneak in and take pictures in a very 
Anyways, we'll get to that in a second. Right. Wherein we get the exposition dump. What is Rose Red? Right. <laughs> and it feels very much like, was it in the, con- no, it wasn't The Conjuring. It was um, Insidious. Oh, yes. When uh, she just tells you about name? astral uh, projection. Yes. Just here's a lecture about astral projection. We are basically getting a lecture about what Rose Red is. So the history of Rose Red, it was built in 1906 by industrialist John Rimbauer for his new wife, Ellen. Uh, while the house was under construction, the two went on a world tour. She got deathly sick in Africa by a disease that men carry and women suffer. Which is another great line. There's some very, good a, writing. In that this, is a very good line. Yeah, in this episode. So presumably she, she got an STD. She was nursed back to health by a local woman named Zucchina. Zucchina, who has possibly was she's beautiful, hired almost exclusively because she at times looks like a Cheshire cat. She has the largest eyes. Her eyes are very big. Yes, um, she's a beautiful woman. Uh, she is nur- she nurses Ellen back to health, and then she comes. <laughs> Ellen brings her back as a maid, and I'm like, this bitch was probably a slave. <laughs> Right. <laughs> this woman was very likely now, a slave. They cover that in um, her description of the situation is that she called, she never called her a maid. She said this is, she called her first friend. her friend, then yeah. her sister. Then her friend, a friend of that. The implication yeah, so to maybe... me is that they were in a relationship. Oh. And that is something that is hinted at in both the Diary of Ellen Rimbauer. Okay. That uh, and well, I'm not sure if we're going to cover that to any extent. We we can, but, but not right. Today. The suggestion is that in in the film that followed, which was daring for its time, was saying that she was originally Zucchina was brought in to please her husband's needs, and the two gross. of them bonded. Yes, because Over the of that experience. Of this man. And the suggestion is they become a relationship in themselves later on. Right, which okay, is why when Zucchina is taken away, she's literally, you can see her, the performer, is heartbroken. She is just like losing it when they're taking her friend away from her. They come back Uh to Seattle. And Rose Red, (laughs) do we know that it's on an Indian burial ground yet? Uh, Not yet. We we find that out later, but of course it is, because white people. Um, Wendigo. (laughs) So it seems like it has bad nature from the beginning. A foreman is murdered during construction. Uh, Ellen and John's five-year-old daughter disappears during construction. John commits suicide by throwing himself out of a window. Out of a window. Or being thrown. It's unclear. He falls out of a window. He dies. He How? dies it's from heights. Don't ask about it. It's uh, not for you. And then over the years, uh-huh. uh, and Nancy Travis does... Uh, some interesting, there are some interesting lines where she talks about how men and women are treated differently right. by this house. Now, I'll have to say also another element that lets you know Nancy Travis's place in this mm-hmm. story is how openly sarcastic and flippant she is about these horrible deaths. She really is, which With is her, why she, he, right. she's like, well, why do you hate this house? Bitch. Her boyfriend, <laughs> and at points, she's he starts telling the story with more sympathy towards his relatives, mm-hmm. and she will cut him off and tell him, don't remember who's in charge of the safari. Yeah. So she wants it to be couched in these really sort of flippant terms, which also is reminiscent of, of Hill House, or The Haunting, where the professor, Professor Markaway, is very kind of flippant about the people who died Yeah, there. which is wild, because... Regardless of what caused these deaths, yeah. hella people died and disappeared. I believe it's something like 
seven men died and 28 women disappeared or something like that just vanished and the most recent um was they had tours of the house much like they have winchester mystery tours and a woman just wandered off and disappeared uh and we we do find out um there are blueprints but they won't do them really any good because you can count the rooms on one day and there'll be 54. You'll count them at the end of the week and there'll be 89 or right. 74 or 90. Like, the rooms come and go, which is deeply creepy. Like, yeah, that's I love it. Uh, it's a great... Having grown up in an old, old house, yeah. the idea that you could find a room that's not there the next... That's always something that you seem to worry that will happen. It's very strange. Yeah. So... Steve and Nancy are dating, and Steve is, uh, at, right after this exhibition, um, he's sold the plot to developers, and they uh, are going to tear this house tear down right. and build condos or whatever they're going to build. Uh, he, uh, like like you said, Nancy Travis is like, well, if we find something, will you consider changing it? Because right. you could make a bunch of money. And he's like... No, yes, because I also will will get a lot of lawsuits from the women's families who disappear at my yeah. house. Like, no, that's a, the place is dangerous. Now they do keep referring to it, and they use this phrase half a dozen times: uh-huh. a dead cell. They're calling it a dead right. cell. So, not, it's been lying dormant for long enough that they presume that there is Which nothing is happening. Why she there wants to bring back. Or bring Which Annie. is why she wants to bring Annie. She refers to all of her other psychics as candles uh-huh. and Annie as a searchlight. Right. Uh, but Annie, uh, so sh- so then now we're going to meet our psychics. Let's do that. Who are played by, I have to say, a wonderfully eccentric group of actors. It's a great group of people. There is a, I, I, when I watched it this time, I did not realize that I knew so much of the cast. Same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, wait, that's Judith Ivey. Oh, my God, that's Emily Deschanel. Oh, God. Yeah, Okay, so one at a time. One at a time. So we're going to start with Emery, because Emery is the only one that we see outside of the group. Uh Uh, We see him at his home, and he is uh, on the phone with her, because she is making phone calls, sort of shoring everything up. And she has offered each of these psychics Uh $5,000 for the weekend. Uh, and that is why Emery is doing this. Uh, he's trying to get more money from her because he is very broke. Uh, and his mother likes to spend lots of money. She charges yes. a lot of credit cards. So this is that. revisiting... It's uh, similar to Hearts in Atlantis. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, the mother in this case is... is oh God, she's one step away from Mrs. Bates. She feels very much like a, just a home shopping fiend. She right. also is overprotective of her son, but she understands what he can do, well, I which think is interesting. She's exploiting him, plainly. Oh, for sure. She's exploiting yeah. him. She's using his talents. He seems to be... He's an obnoxious character. Who's the yes. actor who plays him? His name is Matt Ross. And, and he has um, a punishing haircut and he does. in this film. Normally, he's a pretty good-looking dude. He plays yeah. uh, Gavin Belson in Silicon Valley. Okay. Who's a main character in almost all of the? He's a dick. But right. He's a main character in almost all of the seasons. I haven't watched the last two seasons, so. Uh, but so I'm like, why do I recognize him? Why do I recognize him? That's why I recognize okay. him. He also is a director. He directed Mr. Fantastic, the oh. Viggo Mortensen movie from okay. like a few years ago, where Viggo got a an Oscar nomination, or maybe he won. So he's um, 
he's still out there acting and things. So right. his name is Emery Waterman, and he is a post-cognitive uh, or medium. Uh, he sees dead people. <laughs> he sees well, dead people. He sees dead people actively, What mm-hmm. where I felt sympathy for him, because he's not a nice guy. He's and not. He's, but I think right. a lot of that is... Is he's dealing with his mom? Yes, and he's, he's dealing with his mom, and he's dealing with his powers. Right, he's also having issues with paying bills. His mom is constantly racking up bills. Yes. and my sense is right. he's not a person who could just get a nine to five job. No, like I no, think because that he's his so powers are going to be that he's yeah. getting like shockwaves mm-hmm. from Hill House before they've even stepped before they. Well, it's not Hill House. Excuse before, me. Before, <laughs> from before Rose Red. Yes, so he. Um, at one point, sees two rotting women, uh-huh. an old, it looks like a, a child and an adult, but it could just be different yeah, sized children. Yeah, it could children. be Ellen and her And he's like, daughter. tell me whatever you want to tell me, uh-huh. but I'm, I'm tell, you know, warn off somebody who doesn't have the crushing right. debt, basically. Like, he is the American gig economy. I do this right. because I don't have a choice financially. He doesn't want to go, but he needs the money. Uh and his mom, you know, comes in from shopping. We see her and she's got tons of stuff from the car because there was clearance. And right. he's like, you know, a lot of these, mom, I'm looking at these bills and a lot of them are past due and it's the credit cards. And she goes, I'm a very smart shopper. Like she's clearly in denial about. Well, she's about. also very much, uh, she's in control of every aspect of his personality. Yeah. When we first, he's first introduced to the others, he literally dresses him like he's a kid. Yeah. Like he's going to summer Yeah, camp. he's dressed like he's a little kid and he's... Probably in his 20s. Right. Don't talk to that woman. She looks, what is it, slutty or... Yeah. Yeah, basically, he, she says, Emily Deschanel looks like a whore, right. <laughs> which is wild. Uh, so that's Emery. And uh-huh. he, I don't know that he goes to the original, or to the meeting of them. So he's the one that we see outside of the group. Right. Then uh, there's the meeting... Um, where we get the info dump on the house, and afterwards all the psychics go to a bar together, and uh-huh. they are... Which was a really cute scene. It's a really good scene, and it's really smart because we get to see what each of them does and their right. person, each of their personalities in a really like interesting way. It's not, it is an exposition dump, uh-huh. but it's done in a really nice it's way. It's done in a way that makes you kind of like them. I, I yes. don't remember liking Julian Sands as much the first time I saw this, mm. but watching it on this viewing, he's hysterical. Yes. Yeah. He's very no, funny. he is. And he ribs Emery a whole bunch. So we have, we'll start with Kathy Kramer, played uh-huh. by Judith Ivy, and she's an automatic writer, middle-aged woman, uh, right. meeker on the meeker side. She is a lot more glamorous in other stuff. I'm it's sure. It's very funny watching her here because she's really, really dowdy. Yeah. Yeah. Then we have um, Nick Hardaway, uh-huh. Julian Sands. He is he's a telepath with remote viewing capabilities. Pam Asbury, played by Bones, that's Emily Deschanel, as a right. blonde. She's very young in this. Uh, she's a psychometric. Do you know what psycho- psychometry is? Psychometry, which is that she touches an object. I'm very familiar with yes, psychometry. Yes, a touch no. Right. That's what she says. That's what they call a touch no. Yes. Yeah. It, when I touch thi- or when I touch things, sometimes, not always, I know the history of that thing. We do see... Uh, oh, and then uh, Vic Kandinsky, who's precognitive, which gives me flashbacks to... 
<laughs> Minority Report. Well, okay, so he's precognitive, and that gives you flashbacks. That's oh, yeah, that's right. funny. So and um, so he's precognitive, and Emery is known as postcognitive. Uh-huh. So he knows what was here, and Vic knows what's gonna happen. Is so, it? so it's two in the Hunting of, of Hill House, um, the original story, yeah. and the first film, there are two psychics brought to the house. In the book, there's a, a medium who comes by who's absolutely hysterical. It's the professor's wife, and her character was completely changed for the film uh, because it was a comic relief in the book, and it was just not going to work with the way the film was structured because it's much shorter. Uh, yeah. The and the <laughs> right. the the housekeeper is enough of a right. comic relief in that movie, to... even as dead serious as <laughs> right. she is. Yeah, yeah, but. Um, the uh, in the Legend of Hell House, there's a, a correlation between Roddy McDowell's character, who is the hotshot psychic kid, who gets blunted by visiting the Belasco House, which in that movie is referred to as the Mount Everest of haunted houses. Oof. Which is a line that I'm sure Stephen King would have loved to have stuck in Rose Red. Yeah. Um, but so there, there's like and and uh, what's his name? The character, the young one who is kind of stuck with the unpleasant mother. Emery. It's almost like this is another version of that same guy. I gotcha. Is just sort of stunted and beaten up by life and things. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I, I loved Kevin Tai. I don't, I'm sure if it's how you pronounce his name. Yeah, Kate, I don't, yeah. Um, who is an actor from my childhood? He was the guest star on every television show when I was. He a kid. was on Lost. Um, yeah. yeah, he's been in a bunch of stuff. This, this is my favorite thing about Kevin. Like I said, Taiki uh-huh. or Taig. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Uh huh. The opening of his IMDb bio right. is this beefy, genial-looking character actor, now, which I'll, is a while. Now, <laughs> I'll tell you something. I watch a lot of, as you know, stuff from TCM in the middle of the night. Yes. They show a lot of old educational films. Mm-hmm. I saw his first performance. Oh, interesting. Which is playing a clean-cut young man who falls into the world of drug addiction. Was he beefy? A lot less back yeah. then. But yeah, he was playing a teenage kid who falls into the world of drug addiction, and he he did the whole cold sweats, and you can just tell for a guy who was in a film basically that was only going to be shown to high school students, he threw himself into it, and and he never phones it in. The characters, the psychics are really interesting, because Uh I would say that, with the exception of Julian Sands, Uh they're all meek. They are meek people, like Lily Taylor in that terrible haunting remake. Um, but and Julian Sands has some swag, maybe because he knows what the fuck is happening right. with other in other people's heads and things. Um, and maybe because he's Julian Sands, one of the more eccentric actors. Yeah. It's also possible that he can't be me. Like if that's you not have possible not seen uh, Radio Audience, if you have not seen the movie Warlock, so, where he plays an ancient sorcerer who comes back, he is. That movie's hysterical at I'm times. Like deeply uninterested in that, and he is very good in it. I bet. I do like his voice. He yeah. does have a good voice. Um, oh, I should say, before they split and go to this bar to uh-huh. find out what they each can do, fucking Kevin Bollinger pops up from the back of the lecture hall uh-huh. and yells, say cheese, and takes a picture of them, because he's terrible at his job. He could have just taken a picture. Right. I don't... But... Yeah, I, I still don't understand what the legal ramifications are of hunting people down. I, I like that, just chasing them and harassing them. 
Because that seems well, they to be were what he's on doing. school campus. That's the thing. Right, they're on school campus, so they came to him. That one person that we haven't mentioned much is the professor, who's the rival. Yes, that's what I wanted to say. Okay, was so the reason that Kevin is so gung ho on taking these pictures is he's being put up to it by the head of the psychiatry department or psychology department, rather, uh-huh. uh, who is uh, Carl Miller, David Dukes which is a very unfortunate name. He has passed, so I won't say uh-huh. anything else about that. But um, this is a person who believes that parapsychology is bullshit. Right. Uh, and in before, in between this meeting and the leaving for the, for the trip, which is right. like three days later, he holds a committee meeting for tenure and revokes Nancy Travis's tenure. Right. Um, and she is pissed. Now, there's something, this character is interesting to me because he's portrayed like, he, he has the same issues like all, a lot of hardcore skeptics. Yeah, in that he's an asshole skeptic. He not only can't believe it in himself, he has to sort of stamp it out from yep. existing anywhere around him. Yep. Oh, it's wild to me because, because so he said, that's how we, we uh-huh. his exposition is how we know she once had a promising career in child psychology until she got this into her head and now right. she's doing the parapsychology. Um, although she's been allowed to offer parapsychology because she's teaching parapsychology uh-huh. courses. Right. Um, and he is so... But, like, he's mad because she's requisitioned all of this equipment. Well, if, if you don't want a parapsychology study... Or, you know, studies in your department, why do you have $100,000 of parapsychology equipment? There's nothing else you can use that equipment for. That's what I'm saying. It's just, it's It's ridiculous. It's very specialized stuff, and they have it in the department, so why? Right. That was was the thing that I just didn't understand, and she got all those papers signed. She got the requisition form signed when he was out on vacation, because she's smart. Um, So her plan here is... She wants to wake the house up. She wants one piece of incontrovertible proof that she can then write a book on and then parlay it into her. She'll leave and go somewhere that wants her. Like, that's her plan. Uh, And so she's got a real smug, I'll show them (laughs) sort of mentality, right? That's her whole deal. Um, And Carl Miller just hates the idea of it and will do anything to stop him to the point where he then sends young Kevin Bollinger ahead. He, he drives him Uh right to the house and leaves him there to sneak around and take pictures of them. This does not work out well for Mr. This doesn't work out well for Mr. Bollinger because it might hold on to the ladies, but it just kills the men. Uh, yeah. So he, you know, he uh-huh. goes up to the house on the same day, like right before they're going, like it's a 40-minute drive from campus, we right. find out. And he goes up to the house, and he's going to take some pictures before they get there, and then he's going to basically try and follow them around. Now, this is also, once again, we got to say, this house apparently changes shape all the time. Yeah. So good luck. Uh, and he uh, he goes up to the house, and Sukina opens the door. Oh now, no! This to me was a moment that worked really well. Because <laughs> it does. 
like uh, we as the audience right. know a thing that he doesn't know. Roger Ebert. When he reviewed Halloween, uh-huh. he said one of John Carpenter's gifts is to have something moving in the background while a character is moving in the foreground. Mm-hmm. So you as the audience are scared for Jamie Lee Curtis because she doesn't know she that doesn't Michael Myers is behind there. her, yep. but he's there. The this scene, is that same kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, the scene where he sits up after she thinks she's killed him, and she's you. And she, he said that he saw it in an audience with an audience of people yelling at the screen, he's behind you! Yes, it's a real door <laughs> in the so explorer in this, moment. in this moment, I think that was a supremely creepy moment. Yeah. It was really well done where she opened the door and we know that she's been dead or missing yeah. for a very long time. Well, de- I mean, she would have been dead. She, right. came, she came from Africa in 1906. Right. Or 1910, so, maybe. And she's still lovely and young. And she's, yes. And, and so we're like, oh, oh no. Yeah, we know Don't exactly go what's going to happen to him, but he doesn't. Yeah, so let's leave uh-huh. him having entered, and then she kind of goes ahead of him, and then he he loses her, and he hears her calling him to right. come further into the house, but he but he's now in, and apparently Rose Red is awake because <laughs> that's not a dead cell if they can conjure a whole ass ghost right. that you can't see through. Now we go back to the group, and we are hoping. There's been these phone calls back and forth between sister, and that is, what's her name, Rachel? Uh-huh. Rachel Wheaton, Melanie Linsky, your favorite. You love her so Who much. Who is consoling me on the loss of Deborah Ferentino. Oh, okay. Uh, and she is trying to negotiate more money so that Annie can go to a school for autistic kids uh-huh. in the Seattle area. Now, m- I'm going to call her Rachel because, like I said, I think it's... Yeah, calling her sister is a bit... It's it's yeah. so reductive uh, to call her that. Like, it's it's deeply unsettling to me. So she believes that her parents hate Annie and that it would be best if Annie could go to a place that could, quote-unquote, handle her, right. which I don't know that there's a place on this earth. But So Annie is telekinetic, at least... <laughs> <laughs> At least. She's Psychokinetic. Um, At worst. She's moving things around. She's dropping rocks She's moving you. things. Yes. Um, we don't know what else. Right. She, but she's very powerful. She's not nonverbal, but she's limited in her verbal. Right. Whether it's by skill or by choice, we, we are not clear. She does speak in this, uh-huh. but not a lot. She carries a little doll. She's 15 years old. So she negotiates up to $12,500, which is well over whatever anybody else is right. getting. Okay. And, I, I, and I, we should say Nancy Travis is paying for this out, out of her, her pocket. pocket. Where did this bitch I'm get? I'm looking for the moment when the $45, other $45,000. Well, I don't I don't know. I I'm waiting for the reveal where she doesn't have any money to give. Oh no, and I she think just, she could, at least for Emory, that check uh-huh. he didn't show up if that check didn't clear. He made that pretty clear. He needed payment up front. That's why he didn't go to the meeting um, beforehand. Um, And there are some scenes between or in the Whedon family where we Uh we kind of get that the parents just don't know what to do. It's not that they hate Annie. It's that they don't understand her and don't know what to do with her. And they don't want anything bad for her. But they know that they can't afford this school. Like it's going to be twenty. It's twenty thousand dollars. Like yeah. even with twelve and a half thousand dollars, how that's still not right enough. 
Uh, and so they're sort of trying to live in the pragmatic real world. Yeah. But um, Rachel wants to get Annie out of there and then thinks that she'll be basically disowned by her parents for doing this. Because they're like, you, you can't, like, she she can't go on this trip. Like, it's not yeah. safe. It's not good for anybody. We're not doing this. Well, that... they actually exhibit some of the best, some of the clearest headed thinking in yes. this scene. Her father does, which is, you're taking her to a real haunted house. Yeah. And so I like that scene because the dad is less of a monster and more right. of what's going to happen. And not a skeptical, not right. a skeptic, not, not at all. At all. My daughter can do some shit. Right. And this house is a now, dangerous place. Was it clear place. that she did Annie kill her neighbors? It's unclear. They went down into the basement where they probably had a cellar for storms. Uh-huh. But I don't know if storms and meteors are the same. Like, well, I don't, also, I don't you, know. If your house is buried underneath those boulders, do they get to you in time yeah, to save you? Yeah, to save you. I don't, are it's you just unclear. still in your basement with a bunch of rocks yeah. on you? It is unclear. So I'm, I, don't, yeah. I don't know that. But she does end up showing up as they're all getting ready to go in the in a van uh-huh. <laughs> all together. Sh- uh, so Rachel and magic Annie mystery van. both show up. Yes, it's a this is a magic mystery. That's the Beatles the mystery, magic oh, mystery tour. It's the mystery mobile, like for Scooby Doo. Inflate them into yes, one van. That was my confusion. And uh, so they all get ready to go. Um, Annie makes a bunch of wheels spin. Uh, bicycle like, wheels. Bicycle wheels. Uh-huh. T- bicycle tires, yeah. Spin on the on the road like like a big wind. Uh-huh. Big wind. They all get into the van and head over. And then we go back and we see Kevin in the house. And he's made it to the conservatory. And he's calling out because he's like, I, I've lost you. I don't know uh-huh. where you are. I'm in the conservatory. He closes, goes into this conservatory. The door closes behind him, and he can't get it back open. And then bees. There are bees. And then bees he looks up, and he makes a very scared face. And then he is, like, ascended on, and then darkness, and we don't know what happens. He'll, he'll, he'll reappear later, guys. Don't worry. But he's probably dead. He's definitely He's probably dead. very dead. He's definitely dead. So we've got our first death. Yeah. And then, if you don't cut the neighbors, whatever happened to that? And then all the so loud. And then everybody sort of arrives at the house, and that's kind of where this episode right. ends. So we have the history of the house, the introduction of all the characters, our first death. See. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you think of it? I'm enjoying it. Like I wanted to keep watching it, but it is really entertaining. I had forgotten how entertaining it was. I had forgotten how entertaining the characters were. Uh, like I said, I like Julian Sands this time around. Yeah. Um, uh, I like the psychics. They all seem to be mostly ordinary people. And they're not, yes. they're not played up. And, right. even and none of them point, are like making money as fortune right. tellers or anything like that. There's even a joke at one point where, uh, I'm sorry, where the professor... Uh, Reardon, Professor, Professor Reardon. Reardon actually is looking at pictures of psychics she's thinking of inviting and there's a picture of somebody who obviously is playing into their, whatever their supposed skills are and she's like, nope, no, no I'm not going to choose this guy. Uh, so there's an obvious attempt to make them more human and the only one who's a little bit outre is Jillian Sands' character. Uh, but yeah, I I like them. I'm having a little bit of an issue with 
Nancy Travis's character. There's only one scene where I see the crazy really come out, and that's when she literally smears blood over her rival's she face. She does. She's cut herself, and um, and he's come to tell her he's just revoked her tenure. Right. And she does basically go and smear blood all over his face, and that which was a, is... I really bought that, because what she... The speech that she gives, which is you want everything to have order Mm -hmm. and you want everything, but there's blood underneath the flesh. It's pulsing. And then she rubs the blood all over his face. Yeah. And he seems to be a germaphobe. So this is the absolute worst thing. Well, at the very least, he hates her. So he doesn't want her blood on him. (laughs) And that scene, she, it seems to be halfway between an intimidation and almost like it's sexual at some point. Like she's. She's, it's really interesting. That scene plays a, out very well. She's an odd character. Uh-huh. She's eminently unlikable. Right. And I don't know why that was a choice that was made. I think... Because what, uh-huh. passionate women are not by default unlikable. No, well... As far as I, maybe they are to men, I don't know, but... Give some insight into it. Stephen King, I think in discussing it with Nancy Travis, told her that she was Captain Ahab. Okay. Which, when you think about it that way, it makes sense. Somebody that, this is their, their so there is nothing else. So she's broke, or like her mind is broken right. over this. And there are times when she has moments, there's some really good moments where she's in the van looking at all the people interacting. Yeah. And she is obviously just giddy. It's so excited, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially because they got Annie. Right. Um, she thinks that they're going to wake it up. She does not know it's wide awake. <laughs> the order of magnitude to which they have done that or right. will do that. Uh, but yeah, she's pretty crazed and yeah, like I said, just deeply unlikable. So, yeah, so her performance as the professor is the it's like scene by scene. I overall though, especially the scene where she's attacking her fellow professor yeah. or where she's antagonizing her own boyfriend, yeah, is where I really get the sense that this person's unhinged. Yeah, and it's just like. I don't. I kind of wish that they did that in in fits, right. where normally she's like a like a decent good person. Yeah. And then she just when she's too far into it, she's she she gets. Um, and we might get that aggravated like uh-huh. a dog with, with a toy that or like um dogs that like you can't go near their food when they're eating right. they'll snap at you but it's the only time that they ever snap at you like I wish that she had an off. On this, because right. right now she's just she's going at it full, full. Yes, full blast. every time we see her, we're just like this woman. I, <sighs> it's interesting that I like the idea that it was, and I don't. I like the idea that it's a woman that you're seeing this time. Oh yeah, this. I like that, but I wish she was I, more it's rounded. It's interesting that they chose Nancy Travis, who's one of the more likable actresses. Yeah, and maybe that's why they. And yeah, that's why they chose that. her to do this thing. Yeah, like, as if you're because you were saying you didn't like her casting. I didn't like her casting, and I think the longer I watched it, though, that she succeeded at times in particular scenes of getting the character yeah. across. So I actually think the casting choice. is good. I think the writing of her character uh, might be the problem. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. because when she gets it, it's uh-huh. really good. Right. But because she's one note and then louder of that same note, right? It's, it's just a turning tough the volume watch. up on the same thing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, her. I'm uh, Melanie Linsky, which she's wonderful. I know you love her so much. Well, there was a moment <laughs> when she gets introduced to everyone, and she gets a close up, and you're just looking at her face. 
And she's one of those actors where you, you can see the thought process going on. Yes. Like she's actively listening or thinking. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that last time yeah. with, uh, with Hearts and Lenses, how yes. important that is. With Anthony Elshin's right. character, yeah, characterization. So she did a really good job. Um, I really hope that Emily Deschanel gets to do more, but I have a funny feeling that she's there to be like... I think she might die first. She might die first, or because, she might be an alternate love interest, or she might uh, be... Yeah, I don't... I hope that that's not the case. Right. I don't. We don't need a love trial in our haunted house story, y'all. Right. Like, we just don't. I don't think there's any love between Reardon and That's this. fair, but I mean, at it least would in her still direction. be right. a love triangle. Because he clearly cares for her. Like right. I said, there's no reason... She's probably not even paying for this yeah. visit. The place has been boarded up. He's already sold it. There's no reason for him to be in this. Yeah. He, he like, legitimately must care for this woman, but I'm not seeing why. Because she's terrible to him all the time. Right. And that's why I'm sort of bummed, like, at this characterization. Or show us some time where they're affectionate towards each other. Yes. Or she's affectionate towards him because he obviously is yeah. trying to Yeah, and I understand, like... We're doing basically, uh, the whole thing's going to take place over, what, a week? Right. Because uh, they're they're getting to the house. They're going to be there for a long weekend, some of them. <laughs> and, you know, it's it was Wednesday or Tuesday of the week before when we started. So it's right. only a week. Um, they only have, you know, four hours to tell the story because th- this is a three-parted thing. But I still, I just, yeah. you can do a lot with, like, I really like that scene in the bar with those right. characters. Like, it's, but I don't understand, is Nick's real name Steve? Like, so the automatic writer uh-huh. was like, think something really hard. And so Bones, <laughs> I'm going to call her Bones, Bones thinks a name at her. And it's Steve. And uh-huh. she writes it a couple of times. But then she is, like, mortified by that. And I'm like, well, first of all, why are you... Why did you think a thing that you were going to be mortified by really right. hard? Like, if you... Like, you know that psychic phenomena exists because you are a psychic. B, then she's, like, rushing to get the paper out of her hand. And she, like, wants it. And then she calls Nick. She calls Julian Sands' character Steve. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, what's happening, right? I'm so con- it, but it was like a cute interaction, but also like, is his real name Steve? Was she thinking of him? And sh- and the other woman saw something different. Like, what right. was that weird interaction? Is this an odd interaction? So I'm curious to see if that if the name Steve comes back and. I really I'm enjoying it. It's I'm enjoying really entertaining. It, too. it moves very quickly. Yeah. I I'm. Enjoying the characters. I'm enjoying the little revelations about the characters. I wound up going a little further than I should have with this episode because I wanted to see more. Yeah. Because yeah, it does. I, it, did the, I just want to keep the going. Same like, thing, okay, but I was like, next? no, no, no. I'm not going to be able to figure right. out what stops me. I don't want to forget where I am in the story. Yeah. But it has a lot of Stephen Kingisms. Yes. And there's the. And a lot of other things. You're like, oh, that's. Like the girl oh, in Carrie. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, the stones falling from the sky. Yeah. There is. The kid who has a stunted relationship with or with his mother, and he has this sort of stunted relationship emotionally and yeah. physically, and and she's exploiting him. There is. Uh, I expect for Emery uh, to have a problem with his penis at some point in this movie, I, whether he uh, urinates himself or gets a boner at an inopportune time. Like 
that's the vibe that I'm laying, getting from him. It, laying it up for that. There's the magic hapt person who's, yes. you know, because people, uh, you know, physical or mental handicaps are people who have psychic powers. Magic. That's just the way, yep. the way it works. We have, um, it reminded me of Salem's Lot, the scene with uh, Mr. Rimbauer. Yeah. Rem- remembering, trying to suppress the memory of some incident that happened in the house. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that seem to be staples of his writing. His writing, And yeah. we're, we're visiting them again. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So you definitely next know week, who wrote this. We're going to watch either part two or part two and part three. We'll let you know in the show notes. Uh, do you have anything to recommend in the meantime? I do, and it's a film that we saw together, so you might wind up in we saw The Invisible Man this weekend. We did. And this was a film, it's a modern take on the story. And it's not at all H.G. Wells' it's Invisible not. Man. No, it is not. Which is a very good book, and there's a very good film from the 30s. It was directed by James Whale, who did Bride of Frankenstein. Which, if you check into a theater and say that you're watching The Invisible Man, there is a scene from right. said film that yes. plays, and I'm like, well, that's a black and white film. Uh, we didn't watch this. And that's a film for all of you that are, is really worth watching, where, very much like the book, it's a young man who becomes invisible through experimentation and it affects his mind and he becomes effectively a terrorist, an yeah. invisible terrorist. Yeah. This is a much smaller, smaller scale story. Smaller scale story. And it's, um, I don't want to spoil anything about it because there's well, some neat twists to it. There are. Um, I still think, try not to see the latest trailers for it yes. because they, because, Yeah. I wish the trailers wouldn't show me anything from the back half of a movie, maybe anything after the first 20 minutes. Like, get me interested in getting in the door and then stop. Because the the latest trailers for this movie showed a lot from the back half, back yeah. end of this this movie. So you're like, well, okay. You're not really... I have to say, one of my favorite... There were some twists and stuff that I didn't see coming right. far in advance. Uh, you and I, call, I think, realized yeah. the thing right before it was it revealed. Um Elizabeth Moss is a fantastic actress. Yes. Um, what I was going to say is I think one of, still to this day, one of the worst trailers for a film was Paranormal Activity, the first film. The very first where one? Where the trailer actually showed the climax of the, the movie. Yes. The, yes. The and whole so time you're just, you're just waiting, waiting for, it for it to happen. Yeah. Yeah. One of the best this trailers This one, I've I seen. will say, though, <laughs> they put a scene in the trailer for Invisible right. Man that wasn't in the movie. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. The best trailer for a film I saw was Paranormal Activity 3, where they deliberately showed scenes in the trailer that did not happen did in the film. Did not happen in the film. So you're like, wait, what? They're like, wait, this kind what? of thing, but yeah. not this exact <laughs> and thing. And so it throws you off to where you're Which like... Which, that is exactly what they did. There's right. a shower scene in the Invisible Man trailer uh-huh. that is not in the film. Yes, and that was... I like that because it keeps you guessing. And I don't know if that was done deliberately to throw you off the track. Or if it was done with a scene that was later cut from the film for some reason. but Maybe. But we, I, I think uh-huh. that scene is a great trailer scene and a not necessary film scene. Right. Exactly. Uh, so I think that that was smart. But like I said, yeah, that's that. the last set of trailers for this movie just had a lot of back-end stuff where I was like, I don't... And Stop telling me what's going to happen in this movie. The director has cut his teeth on films in... You know the the Bloomhouse kind of franchise, yes. the, and so he does a great job. Something the that, director is Lee Winnell, who uh-huh. uh, first came to prominence as the writer, not director, but the writer. 
uh-huh. of Saw, the original right. Saw movie, uh, he, and he starred in it. Uh-huh. Uh, and not too well. And then James Wan was the director uh-huh. who's gone on to direct right. massive hits. It reminded me of Insidious in yep. that there's a lot of That's photography of empty space. Oh, Lee Winnell is also yeah. in those movies. He's Elise's... Yeah. He's one of the nerdy yeah, one of the, helpers. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Yeah, but he there's a lot of photo, uh, photography of empty space so that like... And that happened in Insidious because they did a great job of photographing the inside of a house. Yeah. And then the lantern starts moving. Yeah. Or some object. And they exploit that same thing here where there's these really wide vistas yeah. for very small things inside of confined spaces. Yeah, and it's literally like, where's Waldo? Right, Find exactly. the thing that's not right. And I'm sure I missed some of them. Well, I'm sure you did because they did a lot of them. Yeah. And it's not like it at any point doesn't work. No. It does because work Because even really if well. you don't see uh-huh. it, you're like, something's you're not aware. right here. It really does give you the feeling yeah. of either being a voyeur, watching somebody who doesn't know they're being watched. Right. Or it gives you the creepy feeling that you get when you're aware there's something wrong and you can't put your finger on it. So yeah. that worked out really well. That along with the really good performances yeah. in this film. Elizabeth Moss is a fantastic actress. I I take qualms with her religious views and no qualms at all with her acting. So, And I haven't been able to watch the last season of The Handmaid's Tale because I'm unprepared. I've been warned so. about how weird it is. I just, it's and too close to reality these days, and I just can't do it. Right. But uh, and so. it was, it, yeah, so Elizabeth Moss and Aldous Hodge. Yes, who was in Leverage, and so great, and now he's like 98% arms. And what I like Ooh. about this, oh, the other part of, part of it is his chest, apparently. There's a lot of form-fitting shirts he's in this movie. He's hot as hell in this movie. I'm um, like, God damn. Oh, and Storm Reed. Storm Reed. Well, that's what I liked about it, because also the actress who plays her sister, uh, Harriet Dyer. Yes, who was in the show Medium? It wasn't called Medium. The the In-Between. Okay, uh, it's called yeah. The In-Between. She plays a psychic. How strange. I was like, why do I know her face? That's why. <laughs> but what was really neat was that these characters are really developed, and you feel for mm-hmm. them so... As much as you could say, here's this abusive male creep. Yeah. There's also, here's a family man who's raising a child. Yeah. Who's actually protective, but he's not her protector in the sense that she needs to be rescued all the time by this guy. And so I thought that was a really good choice, too. Yeah. The, I I have some, some issues with it, Uh but... Overall, I think it worked right. well. I think he should have brought a female co-writer in. Oh, that's interesting. I think if you're going to write a movie that is fundamentally, thematically about the abuse of a woman, to not have a woman, at least as a co-writer, yeah, is not ideal. So that that was sort of my... I'm like, really? Dude, you had the budget. You could have brought right. in a woman... Uh, because there are certain things that I would have. Well, I think even at your best, if you're a man, you're writing from the outside, and I think that I, I'm I'm a huge believer. I don't like a lot of fantasy stuff because it's like the characters don't have. You're not writing what you know, <laughs> right? There's, yeah, that's it. It's like you can't get a purchase on it. So I like it when I'm able to have some sort of 
reality to it, some sort of, I mean, Ian Fleming was an actual spy for heaven's sakes. It's like even at the most outrageous, he was still writing about something that he knew or people that he knew in the agency he used to work for. And so in the most outrageous situation, you can find somebody who can help. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wish he had done right. that. So, but beyond that, it's good. Yeah. Entertaining. Do you have anything? There were like several it? points where I was like, oh! right. Which is always good. I was like, I legitimately did not expect that. To yeah, happen. there were some good moments, and the, the I also like the original uh, Invisible Man in the thirties. That the film 30s. was a real revolutionary, a real revolution in special effects. Yeah, because it was the first time people were seeing this, and now you don't have that surprise. No, the moment when John Fulton, who by the way was the same genius who parted the Red Sea, that was it. he was like the go-to guy. We need something really crazy. He could do it. This effects guy. So much so that Stephen King... And now King, you just have to put a dude in a green suit. Stephen King refers to him by name in The Mist. Oh, yeah. John Fulton. Because mm-hmm. he's like that guy, the guy who did miracles. The scene in The Original Invisible Man when he unwraps these bandages and there's nothing and there's there nothing, yeah. was scary and creepy and like, what the hell? Yeah. And this is still, I mean, we're only, they're only two decades past. There's a train coming at the screen. Right. Like. So that was just like King Kong when you saw the animation there for the first time. They're like, what the hell? You know, yeah. th- there was that kind of feeling to yeah. it. And unfortunately, we've gotten used to so many things that yeah, you can't. Yeah, it's a bummer. <laughs> you can't do that, oh, what the hell moment anymore. You can, uh-huh. but it takes more. It's like. It, that's why Inception was sort of a letdown because uh-huh. you're like, you could do literally anything right. and this is. What you did? Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's kind of why, and this is a strange jump, but why I really appreciated Godzilla. It's like, yes, I'm going to go all the way, and there's things jumping out of volcanoes and giant three-headed dragons from outer space. We're doing it. It's like, yeah, there we go. We just went with there because Mm. that's all we can do now. We have to really just hammer you over the head with it and give you these vistas. So, yes, I appreciated it. Cool. What about you? Did you have anything uh, to recommend this week? I don't think so. I'm trying to think about... Oh, Lock and Key. Oh, Lock and Key, We yes. finished Lock and Key. Uh-huh. A Joe Hill-inspired thing on Netflix. Um, overall, it's a fun watch. Yeah, it is. We don't know if there's going to be a season two, uh, but it's... It's certainly set up for a season two. It is. It is, absolutely. And there are six right. books uh-huh. that they could do. This covered the first set like the first series, uh-huh. uh, so they could do, you know, five more. I don't, I'd probably give it like a B or a B minus overall, uh-huh. um, but it's certainly entertaining. So Right. Well, I yeah, I really enjoyed the actors. I really enjoyed the performances. Yeah. I really enjoyed its fantasy. I thought the end was, uh-huh. um, I sort of, uh, I saw some of it coming. It fell a little flat. I was like, that's how we're ending this? Yeah. I mean, okay. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah, it just didn't, it wasn't like, oh, that was a great ending. Right. It was, it, yeah. But, uh, and then I watched the entire series, uh, Netflix series, Love is Blind. Uh, so if you like dating shows, that's a wild one, y'all. It's uh, pretty bananas. <laughs> Oh, there's that. Uh, in the Stephen King averse, we we say rest in peace to Max von Sydow, the great Max von Sydow, who passed away today. So that's and I did now see, you know when we recorded. I did see a uh, 
kind of posting somewhere that referred to him as the star of Exorcist, Game of Thrones, and The Seventh Seal. So I finally got one. Yeah. Well, Game of Thrones went on for a very long time, right? But he apparently made an appearance there. So. I don't remember. I know he was in Star Wars. He was very tall. (laughs) Seventh Seal. Right. Needful Things. Yes. Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon. But lots of Bergman and some yeah. very, if you want to see a really and the Exorcist, yeah, did creepy we say movie, that? Yeah. Uh, I think it's Hour of the Wolf, which is a Bergman film about a, a writer who's going insane and starts believing that other people living on this remote, tiny island that he lives on are demons. Oh, good. And it's Max von Sydow just playing a guy spiraling inside of his own head. And the great thing is he doesn't act out. No, no, no. He's he an actor. He in. He's very yeah. internal. And the fact that, like we talked about earlier with some actors, you can read their faces. Faces, and yeah. He was really, really great. He really yeah. was. So, rest in peace, uh-huh. Leland Gott. Uh, well, not really Leland Gott. He could go to, he could burn in hell. But that's when you have rest in peace. So, if you have questions, comments, concerns, uh, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at Latecomers at Latecomers Pod on Twitter. Uh, we're also we have a Facebook group. You just look for Latecomers Podcast. Uh, we are once again watching this on Daily Motion in chunks of an hour a piece because I don't want to spend seventy two dollars on a DVD. No. So join us watching it though. It's not a bad version of it. Yeah, it's really good. It's Actually, clear. I was surprised. It's it's square because it was on television in 2002, right. so it's not. It's there's no letterbox situation, but uh, it's a it's a clear print of it, so it's it's totally fine to watch. Minus we don't get captioning. I miss my captions. By the way, CGI. What it came a long way. Oh, think about where we were when we saw the Langoliers, and think about where we are when we're watching Rose Red. Like, wow! What CGI has there been? There's a lot of it. The oh, house okay. itself. Um, oh yeah. Uh, my problem is I was watching it during the day, uh-huh. and the pictures of the houses on my computer screen uh-huh. were very washed out. It was just uh, dark. Yeah. Well, my <laughs> so. you've seen my room. It's yeah. it's basically like a theater. So yes. Yeah. With the the shade down, it, it's yeah. I should I should watch the next piece in my room maybe yeah. when it's when it's a little bit darker, but. So, yes. So, watch with us. Join us. Thank you for listening. We love you very much. I remind you to take your medicine, and we remind you. Better, better late than, than never. never.